Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact. I have been doing my absolute best in previous teachings to convince you that there are two aspects of salvation. Very often the church has focused so much on the first aspect of salvation that we've lost the second aspect. Or there is misunderstanding about Israel and the first aspect of salvation. Let me explain. The first aspect of salvation is that we are rescued or delivered or saved from death to life. This is a promise of something future. Now for Israel, the first aspect of salvation occurred at the time of the Passover, when God said, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Later we hear God calling himself the father of the children of Israel. So God established a relationship with his children, the children of Israel, and this relationship was one of being part of his family. You know, I don't like the word being saved. I think there's so much theological trapping that goes with it. I have replaced it with belonging to God. So as a result of this Passover event, when the children of Israel become the children of God, they're his firstborn son, he's their father, they at this point belong to God. They belong to God. They have the promise of future eternal life with God because they belong to Him and He is in the process of drawing them to Him. Now, you know, many of us have been taught that Jews have to believe in Yeshua in order to, quote, be saved. But if we have this understanding that they belong to God, they are part of His family, they belong to God, and that God is in the process of drawing them to Him so that at some time in the future they will be with Him in righteousness. That's the key, because God is righteous and we cannot come into His presence unless we are righteous. Then then, then all I can suggest is that there is much more in God's plan of redemption than just the tribulation in the millennial kingdom. There's a lot more that's going to happen after that. We get little glimpses of it, uh, but... Uh, but there certainly is a lot more, and so bringing all the children of Israel into God's presence uh, will happen at some time in the future. It will happen. That's my conclusion from what I can see in Scripture, which is why Paul says in Romans that all Israel will be saved. Now, for the church, when I say the church, I mean Gentile believers in Christ. There are Jews who also believe in Christ and who are now part of, quote, the church, end quote. The church, by the way, is an English translation coming from the New Testament, ecclesia. But I want to refer now to Gentile believers in Christ. They are not Jews, so they do not belong to God because they are not Jews until and unless they believe in God's Son. When they believe in God's Son, then they too belong to God. They have been added to the household of God. 
they are together with the children of Israel in the household of God. Now, what makes this so difficult is that Christianity stumbles over the question, who will be saved? And I've talked about the three possible interpretations. One is, by faith you are saved. Once saved, always saved. Just believe in Jesus. Another one says, you're not really saved. You're not really believing unless you're bearing fruit in your life. And and so, yes, you have to believe, but it has to be sincere believing. And if you sincerely believe in your heart, then you will be bearing fruit for God. So that deletes all those people who have faith in Yeshua, but they're not bearing fruit for God. And the third position is a fairly new one, started by John MacArthur about 20, 25 years ago. That makes it fairly new. Uh, And it's called Lordship Salvation. And he suggests that we must make Jesus Lord in our lives in order to be saved. So Christianity is a little confused as to who belongs to God. I think understanding the two aspects of salvation helps us answer this question. Because the first aspect of salvation is you simply belong to God. You belong to God, either you're a Jew and you belong to God, or you're a Gentile with faith in his Son and you belong to God. Now let's take a look at the second aspect of salvation. I am going to spend the rest of this session talking about the second aspect of salvation for Israel. After this session, I'm going to take about five more sessions to talk about the second aspect of salvation for those with faith in Christ, because I I believe that we, we really, really need to focus on that as believers in Christ. But first, you have to understand Israel, because that's our background. That's the, it's all connected. You can't separate Israel from Gentile believers in Christ. You can't do it. And you can't separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. So let's take a look at the second aspect of salvation for Israel. After the Passover, when death passed over all the children of Israel, at that time, God gave instructions to Israel, and he said, Eat the flesh roasted with fire. So this is an animal that was sacrificed, and the blood of that sacrificial animal was was put over the door, and death passed over the door with the blood of that animal. That animal is to be roasted. It's to be roasted with fire, and you're to eat it. Eat that meat. Eat it. And then it says, eat it with unleavened bread. And then it goes on to say that you are to eat it with bitter herbs. So we have three things. We have food. that's It's all symbolic. And you've got to understand the symbolism of it. We have the the Passover lamb roasted with fire, we have unleavened bread, which is matzah, and we have the bitter herbs. Let's take a look first at eating the flesh. This is symbolic of giving us strength and power. As children of God, as, as when, if we belong to God, then God empowers us with, with strength. And we read, for example, in Deuteronomy, this is the children of Israel during the, the 40 years of wilderness wandering. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years, 40 years of wilderness wandering. So God is, is giving them, he's strengthening them. And eating the roasted meat of the Passover lamb symbolizes how we, we eat 
of course, Passover lamb points to Yeshua, right? And his death on the cross. So we eat him, not literally, but metaphorically, we eat him, and that strengthens us. We, we take Yeshua and we put him into our heart, we put him into our minds, we put him into our lives, and we become strong. We, it strengthens us. Now we take a look at the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread has no yeast, so it doesn't rise. And of course, back in the Passover account in Egypt, they didn't have time to let it rise, and, the, and it was flat bread. But this unleavened bread um, is very symbolic, and we read the symbolism actually in the New Testament. It makes it clear. It was understood in ancient Israel, but it's clarified in the New Testament, and I'll read from 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. All right, this is in preparation for the Passover. And even today, uh, Jews go through and they clean their houses very, very, very carefully so that the house, anything that is is dirty of any kind, you know, the cobweb that you, you never saw back behind the sofa, you know, you get rid of it. And it represents sin, so you clean out the old leaven is the sin. You get rid of the sin in your life so that you can become a new lump, a, a new creation, a new person because you've, you've destroyed all the sin in your life. You've wiped out all the sin from your life. And that's what the matzah represents. Now we get the bitter herbs. And this, the word for bitter um, is, is found in the account before the Exodus from Egypt and we read the Egyptians made their life bitter and the life of the Israelite slaves in Egypt made their life bitter with hard labor so the the bitter herbs which are are dipped into salt and eaten on the on, uh, at the time of the the seder the at the, uh, the passover eve every year even today remind the children of Israel that they were in bondage. They were in bitter bondage to the world. But God rescued them from the bitter bondage to the world. And, of course, then he dumped them into a wilderness. <laughs> but let's talk about that, because this is all part of the second aspect of salvation for Israel. After their release from bondage, death passed, and they, they left Egypt, they came to the Red Sea, and they had no way of crossing the Red Sea. In the meantime, the uh, Pharaoh and his army, Pharaoh changed his mind, and he said, I, you know, I don't want to let them go. I want to bring them back as slaves. So he and his army were pounding behind the Israelites to, re to capture them and bring them back into slavery. When, when God parted the Red Sea, and allowed the children of Israel to cross on dry land to the wilderness. And then the, the Pharaoh and his army came in and were destroyed. This is symbolic of the world trying to take us back, trying to lure us back into you know, all the deceit of the world. If you have a lot of money, you'll be happy. If you haven't... Uh, an educate university education you're going to be successful um you know if you have a lot of friends then then you're you know this is this is good these are all worldly deceits because true happiness is in god and so this account of the red sea represents the world trying to lure us back and bring us back into bondage now let me 
relate this to believers in Christ. When you first believe in the Son of God, you belong to God. You belong to Him. You're part of His family. You belong to Him. But then God kind of pats you on the back and says, I'm, you know, now you're in the world. I'm putting you in the world. And the world is going to try to lure you back. I set you free when you first believed in my Son, but the world is going to try to lure you back into its ways. That's what this Red Sea account represents. Now, God rescued them from being captured and brought back into slavery to the world. And what did he do? He put them in a wilderness. And, you know, where there was, there was no water, there was no food, and they had to learn to depend on him. The first thing that he did, well, not exactly the first thing, but one of the first things he did was to give them the law. He spoke his words to Moses who passed them on to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. And this became the Torah, the first five books of of Moses, the Torah, the heart, the kernel of the Hebrew scriptures. So the first thing God did is he said, you know, I put you in the world. The world is, is, is a hard place. It's a hard knock place, they say in the musical for Annie. It's a hard knock place. And and, and the only way you're going to sur- really survive in this world is to learn about me and to learn how to walk in my ways. Otherwise, the world is going to trap you and bring you back into its ways. So I am giving you the law so that you will know how to walk in my ways. So this is the first thing that God did. He gave them the law so that they would know how to walk in his ways so they would not be captured back and brought back into the ways of the world. Now, there's a second thing that God did, and this is all part of the second aspect of salvation. Um, Salvation means to be saved from something to something. The first salvation was saved from death to life. What we're looking at now is being saved from being sucked back into the world. And when we're sucked back into the world, we we have the consequences of pain and suffering. So the second aspect of salvation is to rescue you from being uh, trapped again by the world and being swept back into the ways of the world. And it's rescuing you by teaching you how to walk in God's ways so that you can walk in righteousness and you will be protected from being caught back into the ways of the world. This is the second aspect of salvation. So God gave his law so that the children of Israel would know how to walk in his ways. And then he also used a process called testing. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this because we need to understand the process of testing. It's in our lives today. And and we need to respond to it as loving instruction from God. In the wilderness account, after the exodus from Egypt, in the wilderness account, they went three days without water. Now, you can go longer without food, but you can't go longer than three days without water. You will die. So they were on the point of death. And they saw what looked at first like a mirage, but then it turned out it was a real pool of water in the middle of the desert. And they began to run, and they ran, and they got to this pool of water, and they threw themselves down to drink. And guess what? We read in Exodus 15, the account is Exodus 15, verses 2 to 25, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. The people grumbled at Moses, and Moses cried out to the Lord. So what we have is we get this echo of the way that the world made their lives bitter with hard labor. Now here comes this 
water that turns out to be bitter. So the world deceives us. It says, ooh, I've got this water. It's wonderful. You can drink it. But in fact, they couldn't drink it because it was bitter. Now, they didn't know yet how to call out to the Lord. They had to be taught through a process of testing. That's what this testing is. It's loving instruction. It's God letting you um, take consequences for ungodly actions. I get a picture of falling down and scraping my knee. He lets me fall down and scrape my knee, so I'll go, oops, I shouldn't have done that. Next time I'll, I'll, I'll do it God's way. So the people didn't know how to, to cry out to the Lord themselves, so they grumbled at Moses. And Moses cried out to the Lord. And then the people said, Oh, we wish that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Oh, the world is so much better than how hard it is to live in this wilderness and just depend on God. It would be so much easier to just go back to Egypt and live in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. See, this is the world deceiving us. For you, Moses, have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So the world... It, 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 you know, Satan is the master of deceit, and the world deceives us. And this is the second aspect of salvation, learning to walk in the ways of God so that we will be rescued or delivered from the world which brings pain and suffering into our lives. And then the account continues because they had the water, you know, um, uh, Moses put his stick into the water and it turned sweet and they were able to to drink the water. But then they went for a few more days and they and they had no food. So they cried out to Moses again and and uh, God says, "Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction." So this is the process of testing is is by God's allowing us to to walk in the ways of the world, which brings consequences, which which you know, so that we turn to Him because we realize how bad it is in the world, and um, and so the instruction was to gather a day's portion every day, and then on the uh, sixth day they they gathered uh, twice as much because on the Sabbath there would be nothing. And, of course, they hoarded. They gathered more than they needed. And the next day, what was left over was rotten. So God was was teaching them through this process of testing. Now, you know, we have a tendency to complain about our lives, be negative, and why is this happening to me? Why is that happening to me? And the same thing happened here. We can learn about it in the wilderness account. And because remember, the children are saying, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. These are the children of Israel complaining to Moses. They're negative. They're self-centered. All they can think of is themselves. That's what complaining is. Is you know you're, you're self-centered on yourself. That's causes complaining. Um, so and it says, for there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food, this manna that God has given us. You know, oh, we're so tired of it. We eat it every day. We're tired of it. So the complaining is being self-centered. It's negative. And instead, we need to be positive and be thankful. Thank you, God, that you are giving this manna. Thank you, God, that you are keeping us alive with this food. Thank you, God, for for these wonderful uh, miracles that you are bestowing on us instead of complaining.
Now, let me give you another example from from the Exodus account, and that has to do with the fiery serpents. We read in Numbers 21.6, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now, this is all part of testing. They're, they're learning, and unfortunately, some of them died as a result, but, you know, that happens. If if we're walking in the ways of the world and we're, drink, we're drinking and then we go drive in a car, we may be in an accident, you know, as a drunk driver, we may be in an accident and kill ourselves or kill other people, kill people in the car or kill people in another car. So, you know, God allows these consequences to happen, but we bring them on ourselves. And so we read in the account of the fiery serpents, which killed some of the people, the people finally, they got, you know, they had it figured out. They came to Moses and said, we have sinned. That's the repentance. We have sinned intercede with the Lord for us. So then after that, when a person looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. So this is all part of the process of testing. And we have testing that goes on in our lives right now today. And we we have to recognize it as testing. We have to recognize that we have brought consequences upon ourselves by walking in worldly ways. And then we turn to God. God I have sinned. I have walked in the ways of the world. I I truly desire to change, to walk in your ways. So when the children of Israel were ready to enter the promised land, the only ones who entered were those who were prepared, who had learned the law, who had learned through the process of testing to turn to God. And we see in Numbers 32, none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they were so entrenched in the ways of the world that they had not been able to acquire that total trust in God. But the ones who were under 20 years of age uh, grew up as young children to to know how to trust for God. And the only exceptions, of course, were uh, Caleb and Joshua. And they had learned to follow the Lord. It says, except Caleb and Joshua, for they have followed the Lord fully. So it's, you know, it's not just that you obey. You have to obey fully. You have to follow God fully. You have to do it with your whole heart, your whole mind, and your whole soul. That's what you have to learn how to do. And those are the ones who were uh, allowed to enter the promised land. They were the ones who were prepared to defeat the enemy and and conquer the land, which was the land of Canaan, which was the land that God was giving to them. So... Uh, Let me just end with a a few other verses to show you that the second aspect of salvation for Israel is to be delivered from the ways of the world. Uh, It has nothing to do with their being saved. That's the first aspect of salvation, and they have the promise of future eternal life with God because they are his firstborn son and he is their father. And But we read, for example, um, in First Samuel, you have today rejected your God who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. So when we have calamities in our life, when we have distresses in our life, God will deliver us. But we have to turn away from the world. We have to turn to God. We have to repent of whatever it is that's been a stumbling block and we have to fully you know believe fully um, in in God and make him the center of our life now um, let's see here's another one Uh, God delivers us from all our enemies 
And um, the Lord delivered David from the hand of all his enemies. That delivered is saved. He saved him. It's a second aspect of salvation. He saved him from the enemies. Do you have enemies in your life today? I'm sure you do. God will save you from those enemies. He will save you from all calamities and distresses when you learn through the process of testing to fully trust in God. Now, there's a very interesting question here. Israel's relationship with God is one um, of love. It, it, it's not, oh, do we belong to God or not? You know, Are we going to be saved or not saved? They are fully convinced that they belong to God. They, ha- they have no doubt in their mind. They have no doubt. They belong to God. They know that. I wish that uh, uh, Gentile believers in Christ could have that same confidence. They have the confidence. They belong to God. They're his. He's their father. They're his children. So they focus on the second aspect of salvation, which is instruction through the law and correction through the process of testing. That's the whole focus of their life. I think with, you know, in our tradition of the church, we're so focused on whether we're saved or not that, you know, we we don't focus. It's We know that we're supposed to walk in God's ways, but we don't focus on it. And uh, so I'm going to spend the next few sessions uh, talking about the second aspect of salvation for believers in Yeshua. So I, I hope you'll, um, you, you'll touch bases with me at that time, and we'll have fun at that time. Shalom.